following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. It was kind of fun as I walked out to get a drink before I came up. It's like dead in the hall, um, because we're here together as a family, and I'm very excited to be together uh, and to worship our newborn king, who is, in a sense of time, not any more than newborn king, but as we remember this time... We enjoy this piece of history remembering how important it is to us and how wonderful it is to us. Uh, It's a wonderful time for us to celebrate Emmanuel. God is with us. That's amazing. That's amazing that God would dwell with us. And of all people, we know how to celebrate Christmas well. We're not the only ones that celebrate, but we're the ones that know how to celebrate it well. It's not about the presents. It's not about the lights or the snow, obviously, uh, or the trees, um, or the pictures with Santa, or the elf on the shelf. It's about Jesus. It's a ready-made opportunity. If, 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 if you don't think about this, I want you to take a minute. It's a ready-made opportunity for us to truly spread goodwill to men, to show peace on earth, and to proclaim that in Jesus. We celebrate the one who left his throne to be born of a virgin, to declare that the kingdom is here, that it's coming, and to enter, think about this, to enter the arena where he would strike the final death blow to Satan's sin and hell. He would do it to death and conquer in that. That's what he came into the arena to do, and that's what we celebrate today. He came to pay the price for our sin and secure the blessed hope that we have. It is good for us to remember, like the saints of old, that longing, that waiting for the Christ child to come, for the Messiah to be the Messiah and to come. It is good for us to feel that and to celebrate with great joy that God is with us. To be clear, I want to make sure we are on the same page. Christmas is a redeemed holiday. We we realize that. Its origins always weren't only necessarily in Jesus Christ in the manger scene. It is not necessarily for us proclaimed that we must do this or mandated by Scripture. However, we've chosen to take this as a wonderful time to remember and celebrate the incarnation. Jesus Christ, the God-man, who went from his throne and put on flesh. This is a wonderful time for us to proclaim this. And therefore, we celebrate together. If I can just say it, as a friend and brother, Christmas time is a great excuse to talk about the incarnation. And we think it's important enough to do it once a year, where we set aside time to talk about to our children and proclaim peace on earth that Jesus came and put on flesh. If he hadn't done that, he couldn't have been our substitute. It's a wonderful time then for us. And it is truly glorious because he has entered that arena to put the death blow to Satan, sin, and hell. So praise God for that. Our Christian forefathers, again, thought it was important enough. Let's say, let's take December 25th every year and do this on a regular basis to celebrate Christ's coming. And if we do it correctly, uh, and we set aside by God's grace this time to do it, we proclaim Jesus Christ, the Messiah, Emmanuel, come to dwell with his people to save them from their sin. We worship the King. It's not as though we're doing something different on this day than we did last Sunday. We worship together again. We have a little bit different focus, and we enjoy this part of the truth about who our God is. It should be the desire of every Christian family, then, 
to make much of Christ at all times. And Christmas is no exception to that. Dads, husbands, you should regularly be leading your family in worship of our Savior Jesus Christ. Moms and friends and family members in the, in the body of Christ, you should take each time with children and each other to proclaim Christ. But Christmas is like this ready-made opportunity for us to use it well, for us to talk about the glory of Emmanuel, God made in the likeness of man. So I'd encourage you, don't waste your Christmas. Proclaim Christ to one another. Enjoy him. Uh, Christmas, Christmas is a great opportunity. I love Christmas time to enjoy this thing and thinking about Christ coming. But we also live in the world around us. I know that not any of you came here and didn't see a thousand different lights on the way probably or last night or over the past month because we know that not everyone uses this holiday, this celebration to celebrate Jesus Christ. Um, for instance, there's those that use Christmas for their own purposes, right? I mean, in 2018, retailers are expected to do 1.1 trillion, that's with a T, not a B, not, a B, not an M, that is $1.1 trillion in sales over the Christmas season. So we're talking from November to January, $1.1 trillion just in that time period that goes on. The retailers are no dummies. They want to monetize and capitalize on the Christmas cheer for everyone. How about Hallmark? Yeah, about 30% of the women got a little bit red, and then 6% of the men dropped their heads. <laughs> Hallmark understands Christmas. They understand how to use it well for their purposes. Uh, last year, they made 33 original holiday movies. They began their countdown to Christmas... <laughs> <laughs> they began their countdown to Christmas on their station in October 27th. Like, that seems ludicrous to me, but I know that there's those in here that are so thankful for October 27th, the beginning to countdown to Christmas. Uh, this accounts for about one-third of their revenue for the year. Uh, we're talking about to the tune of $390 million in revenue alone from ads. Yeah, Hallmark knows how to take Christmas and use it well. Um, but they're not alone. What about parents? Parents desire that their children might have good behavior. We all know that Santa makes a list, but then he checks it twice to see if there's, you're on the naughty list or on the nice list. Or this strange invention lately of the elf on the shelf coming in and looking over our children's behavior to tell them whether or not they have done the right thing or the wrong thing, if they deserve presents or not. Parents are willing to use this as a motivator for behavior. We get it. One more person. What about Charles Dickens? He knows how to use Christmas well. He really does. Um, he used Christmas. Probably seen a version. Some of us, I mean, every year growing up, I think on Christmas Eve, I either watched It's a Wonderful Life or I watched A Christmas Carol. Coming from his book, A Christmas Carol, uh, that he called A Ghost Story of Christmas. Every writer has to write to make a living, but, but he's doing more than just making a living in this little book. Dickens has taken Christmas and used it well to influence a whole society to do what he thinks is important, to show them the Christmas cheer. Uh, he, was used to this, he used this to promote altruism, to being kind to others, to taking care of the poor, spreading Christmas cheer for all people. In his preface, he says this, I have endeavored in this ghostly little book to rise the ghost of an idea, 
which shall not put my readers out of humor with themselves, with each other, with the season, or with me. May it haunt their house pleasantly, and no one with to lay it. Charles Dickens, 1843. Dickens desired to use Christmas, the season, the cheer, to show the stark difference between what the wealthy had and their class of high, expensive housing and all the different foods and the luxurious things that they would have, their booming businesses. He used that in juxtaposition to the poor who could barely scrape enough food together to get a proper meal. And he showed that this is a big problem, let alone they couldn't celebrate Christmas time. So he uses the season for his own good. He doesn't inspire us to worship the newborn king or to go tell it on the mountain that the Savior of the world has come. Instead, he uses these lavish celebrations and these sentimentality figures to help us say, oh yeah, maybe we should take care of the poor. Maybe we should step out of our lavish lifestyle and help someone else. He's doing this because he thinks this is important, and he uses the Christmas season in this way. Everyone, if we're really honest, we recognize that everyone uses Christmas somehow for their own purposes. The retailers in Hallmark, they know how to make a buck. Um, parents and Charles Dickens know how to make changes to behavior by using Christmas time. And we'd all agree that some of these examples, maybe well-meaning, are a little bit manipulative, and they seem not pure. We might even deem them inappropriate uses of the Christmas season. And we would be tempted to think that any use is an abuse of the Christmas season. But I think if we come to that conclusion, we'd be wrong. I'd like for us to reconsider for a moment. I'd like for us to consider a rather famous Christian and see how he used Christmas. The Apostle Paul. He decided that he, decided he needed to use Christmas. In his letter to the Philippian believers, he puts Christmas in its proper context and uses it to make a point. He uses it to encourage the believers to act like Jesus Christ. If you'd like, you can turn there in Philippians 2. We're mainly going to be looking through 3 through 8. I'll read the passage as we go along. But I want to bring your attention here as Caleb read through Philippians 2, 1 through 11. If you didn't catch it, this passage was speaking to the incarnation. It was God putting on flesh. Christmas. We often go straight to the prophets to see the promises that were made to us. And these are wonderful promises. And that is a good thing. Or we go to Luke 2 and we talk about the Christmas story. And we see the different details and the glory of the Christ child coming. But in this passage, if we rightly see that Christmas is about the incarnation... Philippians 2 and actually several different passages throughout the, the Bible are game, fair game for good Christmas reflection. And so today I want us to see that Paul is encouraging Christians to act in humility and to show love and care for one another based on Jesus Christ's coming in the incarnation, Christmas. But he doesn't say anything that we're not ready for. In verse 3 he says this, Do nothing for, from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. But he doesn't say this and say, be humble based on the law alone. He could have, and that would have been fine. He goes further than that. He tells us to have the same mind as Christ. Look at the next verse, 4 and 5. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but look to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Instead of simply keeping it open-ended, like just go be humble, 
Instead, Paul gives a very specific command. He says, you are to have the mind of Christ. We should ask, in what way do you mean, Paul? Glad you asked. Look at 6, 7, and 8. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. In other words, Paul says Jesus Christ was at one time not clothed in flesh. In fact, he was the eternal son. He always has been. He is the second person of the Godhead, dwelling as God. But he was willing and ready to do what had been decided from eternity past. At a certain point, Jesus emptied himself and took the form of a servant. But this meant that he had to put on human flesh. He had to become human. That means no less God, he was still God. But he put on human form so that he could fulfill his obedience to the Father. And do you remember what he did? He does incredible things. He empties himself. He becomes a servant. He's born in the likeness of men instead of just dropping in as a prophet ready to go. He became human and all that that means for you and I, the struggles and temptations and hurts. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death on a cross. Paul is using this as the number one example of humility. Laying aside all these things, humbling himself at Christmas. Coming, the incarnation, Jesus Christ. The obedience all the way to the point, not only of the manger and to the living as a human, but to the point of death on a cross in ultimate humiliation. Paul is using this to show us an example then of Christian humility. And when we think about the nativity scene, if we're honest, a lot of us realize that it's not a place of pride. Janet read it this morning. An unwed mother in the midst of a crowded city, in a stable, having a child, laying it in a feeding trough. But notice Paul doesn't really highlight any of that stuff. Did you notice that? He doesn't say anything about being born in a stable. doesn't say anything about his humble means in those ways. Paul's concerned with far greater things. Even, get this for a moment, even if Jesus had come in luxury, in a palace, in gold all around him, which he didn't, in proper praises, this is, Paul's words still would have been correct. Think about that for a moment. The wonder and the glory of the incarnation is in the fact that it happened at all, not in the place where he was delivered. That's not the glory of Christmas time. The glory of Christmas and the incarnation is that Jesus put on flesh. If he hadn't done this, we do not know salvation. That's why this is so wondrous. That's what we sing about. Think about this. God, the king, becomes a servant. God, the divine, he is God, becomes human. God, the one who makes the rules based on his character, became obedient. God, the one who gives life, came to die. Jesus did nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, as Caleb read earlier. He deserved all praise and honor to be the Lord of all, to be God, to be served, to be the ruler. But in his infinite wisdom, loving kindness and humility, Jesus submitted to the Father and humbled himself to think of and act on behalf of others, us. In the action of Christmas, incarnation, 
Jesus Christ showed us ultimate humility. And Paul calls us to the same type of obedience. That's what he's basing his whole argument on. That we would obey our Father in heaven, thinking of our interests second or third or way at the bottom. Instead, what Paul says, that we would think of others as more significant needs than our own. That we would think about them first. Paul is right then, if I can kind of draw this back, Paul is right to use Christmas in this way. He has every right to do so, and he's doing the right thing as an opportunity to encourage right Christian living, specifically for us to have the mindset of humility. So allow me to make then two applications from Christmas and what Paul has said. First, I've spoken heavily to the believer today, but friend, if you are here today and you hear me speak of the glory of Christmas time and celebrating Jesus Christ, and yet you do not know the love of God, please listen for a moment. You stand alone to answer for your sin. No one can stand there for you that's human alone. You cannot pay any price to rescue yourself from the wrath of God, and He will demand justice. That's who He is. If you don't know and love and trust this person, Jesus, then let me call today to tell you this. There is good news. There is hope. There is joy and peace. And not in us just thinking that that will happen or smiling to one another. Joy and peace and salvation only happens in Jesus Christ. So I call you to repent of your sin and find true peace in the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ, being reconciled to the Father, knowing the forgiveness of sins and the joy that can be yours in knowing Christ. Sentimentality is fleeting. Glittery stuff is great, but it won't last forever. Family will also fall away and fail you. But Jesus Christ the one who made all things and holds it all together, will never fail. Jesus is our rock. So, as, as, I, as I do this, I want to call you then today to trust Jesus with your life. He is the King of glory, and He can save you. Second, Christian brothers, notice that Paul doesn't call us to acts of humility. He didn't tell us to go do something. You notice that? He says something different. He calls us to a mindset change to have the mind of Christ. Of course, actions will follow, but he called us to mindset change. Humility is bound up in our heart, in our minds. It's not something that you can put on your to-do list. If you keep on doing it every week, do, 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 then somehow it's going to change. He says to have the mind of Christ. Humility is how you consider or count yourself and how you consider and count those that are around you. He is telling us to change our thinking to have a humble mindset, one that actually considers the needs of others more significant than our own, one that is dominated by thoughts of others, Jesus chiefly, and not me, 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 me. That's really hard for me to do. I'm sure I'm not alone, but I think I constantly think of myself and my own things that I have to get done. Christians, let me say this last thing. We're almost done. Let us look to Jesus for our example our king. Let us gaze on him in heaven, but then as he comes in the manger, being clothed in flesh, and then in obedience as he walks to the cross and suffers and bleeds and dies the death that we so rightly deserve. All of this declaring his great humility. Let us remember his great love for the Father and his great love for us. 
properly then obeying the first and second great commandment. In the spirit of the Apostle Paul, look on the humble king of Christmas and have the same mindset as he does. Love your neighbor. I want to wish you a very Merry Christmas with your families and friends and call you as brothers and sisters to humbly love others as we watch and know and love our Savior Jesus Christ and his example for us of humility. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this time as a family together in Christ. We call you to continue to work through this season. May we not put you on pause, but enjoy you through this time. May we love others and think more highly of them than ourselves. Would you give us a heart of humility that's not just by keep working at it, keep working at it, keep working at it, but rather that we'd see Jesus Christ and as you call us to work out our own salvation, be confident that you will work this in us. Lord, give us faith to believe. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.